We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, June the 17th, 2021. Today's show, we continue along with the 2021 opponent preview series. Today, we break down the Gamecocks week eight opponent, the Texas A&M Aggies, as South Carolina travels to College Station this fall. Guys, I'll break down Texas A&M in their entirety. First things first, we'll talk about their head coach, how they fared a season ago, best returning players on offense and defense, as well as give the overall outlook for Texas Texas A&M football in 2021 and the Gamecocks game as they take on the Aggies this fall. Also, guys, news and notes, your listener questions, and we have a fantastic conversation. Former Gamecocks third baseman and two-time national champion Adrian Morales joined me for a fantastic conversation as we break down his path to South Carolina, being a leader on those back-to-back national championship teams, his current career now coaching at Miami Day. Guys, much, much more from there. A phenomenal conversation. So sit back, relax, enjoy it's all brought to you by our friends over at upstate movers group guys upstate movers group superior moving service they bring care and attention on the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service guys service separates upstate movers group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company. And they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packing your special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, at Upstate Movers Group, or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
how close. But we are under 80 days away until South Carolina kicks off the Shane Beamer era at williams Bryce Stadium against the Eastern Illinois Panthers. Folks, happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up show. As always, appreciate you guys doing it. And I'll tell you, when you're counting down the days to kick off, day by day by day, it's crazy how quickly it flies by. I mean, it literally feels like yesterday. I put up the 100 days to kick off post, and now today as we sit here, Less than 80 days away, 79 days away until kickoff. Before you know it, guys, it'll be SEC media days. Fall camp will be underway. And before you know it, kickoff is going to be here. Absolutely can't wait. But again, guys, I appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the love and support, guys. I know this has been a week of adjustment, if you will, a little bit, because the first week since literally before football season last year that we've been going back to the two podcasts per week instead of five Thank you all so much for the love and support, tuning in, continuing to rock with the content, support with the content, and show love to what we do, wherever you may be, whatever you may be doing, whether you are on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job, you got the day off, hey, maybe you're on vacation, whatever it may be, guys, again, thank you all so much for tuning in and showing love and support, man, it means the absolute world, and it's been a blast, and it's going to continue to be a blast as we go through this preseason and await Gamecocks football together and break this thing down and dissect it and deep dive into it. And it's only going to get more and more and more intense and more and more and more fun as we go throughout the preseason. And that, my friends, is the exciting part. All right, before we get going and everything, a couple of housekeeping items really quickly. First things first, if you are not tuning in to the NCAA college football revamped dynasty streams that we are doing with South Carolina. We've done two to this point. If you are not tuning into those, my friends, you are doing yourself a disservice because I'll tell you this, that is probably the most fun I have had making content in quite some time. Of course, guys, if you do not know, I have NCAA football 14 with the latest modifications from college football revamp, which shout out to those guys. They do an incredible incredible job even if the mod does freeze up sometimes which pisses us off but either way they do an incredible job updating the uniforms the fields like literally everything the entire look and feel of the game it's incredible also shout out my guys sg1 sports who i'm subscribed to their patreon to get the latest rosters really awesome playing with the up-to-date rosters but again if you are not tuned into these streams you're, you're missing out. I mean, it's a hell of a time. It's a blast. We've got Streamlabs OBS figured out. The quality is great. It's a damn good time. Be sure to stay tuned. Stay tuned to when those will go live. When we have kickoff, I'll be sure to keep you guys updated through social media and all the channels. But man, what a time that is. Again, playing with South Carolina in dynasty mode. We're doing the recruiting. We're playing the games. We're doing it all. So, again, those are going to continue to rock and roll throughout the month of June, the month of July. And then in August, we will do our TSUS preseason simulation series for the 2021 football season, which you guys know will be a ton of fun. So stay tuned for that. And, again, for those who have tuned in, thank you so much. Again, they are an absolute blast. Uh, another quick thing before we get going. I am very excited and very Proud to announce, guys, in case you missed it on social media yesterday, drop the announcement around midday. You know, last year, 
2020. We got a lot of things taken away from us, including being able to go to the stadium per normal and watch our Gamecocks take the field. Well, the other thing we lost was tailgating. And, and tailgating is as much a part of the fabric of what makes college football and college athletics so special as anything. Well, we all know fans in the stands are back. Tailgating is back. And with that being said, I'm very proud to announce TSUS Tailgates coming to you live this fall from Seawells, the Seawells parking lot right across the street from the Rocket and the Fairgrounds and williams Bryce Stadium. I'm sure you guys know where I'm talking about. Extremely excited. Partner up with a couple of buddies of mine. I will be dropping more details as we go throughout the summer and we get the official spots figured out, but the spots have been secured. The tailgate lot has been finalized. Seawells, you can expect TSUS tailgates coming live from Seawells this fall. It's going to be incredible, guys. We're going to have food. We're going to have drink. We're going to have music. We're going to have entertainment. We're going to be doing, I'm already planning on doing live pregame and postgame shows, and I really want to make those as almost like kind of a college game day for South Carolina fans type of feel. It'll probably be very similar to what we do on the Daily Crow. Obviously, a little bit enhanced. I'm trying to get, like, special guests to come by. Maybe my good buddy Cox by 90. Maybe some of the guests we've had on this show before. Either way, though, guys, this is something I've been wanting to do for a couple of years. Finally getting to make it a reality this fall. I can't tell you just how fired up I am, how excited I am. I cannot wait to interact with all the Gamecock fans. You know, the tailgate we threw for the baseball game was incredible. It was a major success. This is going to be, I think, that times 100. I mean, I really am expecting, especially with the buzz of Shane Beamer and a new era and, and Gamecocks football being back, and it's going to be incredible. So, again, guys, very excited to announce TSUS tailgates will become a reality this fall from Seawells. And, again, stay tuned for more details as we get closer to kickoff, of course, and as we go throughout the summer. I'll have details on things like exactly when we're going to be out there, what time the live shows are going to be, pregame and postgame, if we're going to have any guests, what the spread is going to be like, all that good stuff. But again, thank you guys all again for the love and support because things like this, something like this, we could not make this a reality without your love and support. And also for those who have asked about possibly donating or supporting the tailgates, I am going to roll out a platform, a package, if you will, in the next week or two. Please stay tuned to that. So, again, if you do want to support, if you are interested in donating, we're probably going to get a big banner made with the Spurs Up Show logo and the names of people who have donated and who have supported. If you're interested in that, again, like I said, I am going to roll out an official package, if you will, where we can make that happen. But if you're interested in the meantime, shoot me a DM. Let me know. I would love to hear from you guys your thoughts, and if you want to support I truly do appreciate it and am eternally grateful for you guys. But again, very excited to announce that TSUS tailgates will be a reality this fall at Seawells. It's going to be a blast. I mean, it's going to be one hell of a time, and I cannot wait to see a bunch of rowdy roosters out there, man. It's going to be incredible. So again, on that note, we're talking tailgating. We're talking college football. Let's get into the meat of the show as we continue the 2021 opponent preview series. Guys, today we break down the Gamecocks week eight opponent, the Texas A&M Aggie. South Carolina A&M will do battle at College Station, Texas at Kyle Field, Saturday, October the 23rd. The Gamecocks travel there. Of course, the all-time series record A&M leads it 7-0 on a seven-game win streak. The Gamecocks have never beaten 
Texas A&M since the two teams started playing in 2014. Of course, the last meeting was 2020, which really served as the end of the Will Muschamp era. Texas A&M, if you, of course, remember, we, they won that game 48-3, to and it was just complete domination. I mean, utterly embarrassing at home, over from the jump. I mean, I remember specifically watching that game from overtime bar and grill and just sitting there and, you know, there aren't many times that I've watched a South Carolina game where I have not even cheered once. There's really two times I can think of that that happened. The first time was the Belt Bowl against Virginia and Charlotte, which I know we've all tried to block that out of our memory, but that was the first time. And the second time was the A&M game, where it's a game where it is so, it is so utterly embarrassing and disappointing and literally nothing good happens. Maybe the only good thing was it finally woke people up to say, because there's many Gamecock fans, believe it or not, that I've talked to that say they were on Will Muschamp, the Will Muschamp train, up until that game. It took them that long. It took them that long to get off of Will Muschamp. Either way, whatever, though. That, that's, that's not here nor there. But again, 2020, Texas A&M winning that game 48-3 to in blowout fashion. Last season, A&M, and I forgot just how good of a season Texas A&M had. Nine and one overall, eight and one in conference play. And we're going to dive into their season a little bit more in detail in just a second. Let's move to their head coach, Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo, hey, give him credit, man. Done a really, really good job. Jimbo, one of the elite coaches in college football, one of the few that's won a national championship, and he will look to guide Texas A&M to – Maybe the promised land this year, man, where obviously the goal, I think, in College Station is to get to Atlanta, and that's kind of what he promised when he got there, and they were super close to being in the college football playoff a year ago, and a lot of fans think they should have gotten in and gotten an opportunity. Um, But Jimbo Fisher entering his fourth season, I mean, I I think the approval rating of him is very, very high. You know, last year, even with COVID and being a 10-game all-conference schedule, that was a very big year for him last year. And, uh, you know, I also think what he did with Kellen Mond, getting the most out of him and the way he's been able to build up that roster. And I really feel like, too, he's changed recruiting for them. So, overall, I'd say the approval rating of Jimbo Fisher's got to be pretty damn high. And I think he's done a pretty damn good job when it comes to Texas A&M football and getting them where they need to be. Now, how did they fare a season ago? Let's go down the list again. Nine and one overall, eight and one in the SEC, capped off by a 41-27 to Orange Bowl win over the North Carolina Tar Heels. Guys, they only lost one game last year, and that was to Alabama, who, again, won it all. So, I mean, beat Vandy, lost to Bama, and then reeled off eight straight wins, beating Florida. And Florida was the big one, right? Florida, we all remember in College Station, you know, we all thought, oh, A&M's got no chance, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They looked terrible. They only beat Vandy by five points in week one and then got blasted pretty much by Alabama. They beat Florida 41-38, and it was on from there. Took care of business against Mississippi State, Arkansas, crushed South Carolina, of course, beat LSU, Auburn, and then Tennessee to close out the regular season. And, of course, like I said, beat a really good North Carolina team in the Orange Bowl. So, again, a lot of momentum for them. And, again, they feel like they may have gotten slighted last year, finishing fifth in the overall rankings, just outside of the playoff picture. But a lot of positive momentum in College Station as they return for this season. And really the number one goal is to finish off the job they started last year and take down the Alabama Crimson Tide, who, by the way, have to come to College Station this year. One of the biggest games of the 2021 football season, no doubt. Best returning players on offense and defense. Let's talk about it and talk about the Aggies a little bit. What makes them so good? We'll start offensively. 
And listen, I, I, I think we all agree Kevin Harris does not get the respect he deserves. And we all agree Kevin Harris should have been first team all SEC last year. There's no question. But I will say, even with that fact being considered, the Aggies have got a pretty damn good running back on their side of things as well. And you're talking about, of course, running back Isaiah Spiller. He was the first team all SEC ball carrier a season ago. 188 carries, 1,036 yards, averaged five and a half yards per carry, and nine touchdowns with the loss of Kellen Mond. Now, they've got weapons on the outside, too, now. They've got weapons on the outside. they got a fantastic tight end in Jalen Watermeyer. they got Anaya Smith, Chase Lane, Hezekiah Jones. Like, all of their top returning pass catchers are back. All their leading guys from last year are back. Hey, Isaiah Spiller can do it out of the backfield, too. Caught 20 passes for 193 yards. So he can do a little bit of everything. Running back was a question for A&M. Entering the season a year ago, that question was quickly answered by Spiller. Kind of a do-it-all guy. Very similar, I think to Kevin Harris with maybe even a little bit more of a home run threat with a new quarterback. And again, A&M doesn't know who their quarterback's going to be. Will it be Haynes King? Will it be Zach Calzada? They don't know yet. A new era begins after Kellen Mond, which, hey, some fans aren't that upset that it's over, right? Some inconsistencies there under center. But Isaiah Spiller, I think, is really what makes this offense go in that pro-style type of system they run under Jimbo Fisher. Isaiah Spiller will get the football early. Often, I would fully expect him to rush over 1,000 yards. Yet again, a guy who has rushed for nearly 2,000 yards in the last two seasons. Best returning player on offense. Give me running back Isaiah Spiller, an elite ball carrier for the Aggies. Best returning player on defense. And we talk about defense and the pass rush and how important it is. And by the way, this is an Aggies defense. There were a lot of guys to choose from. They return nine starters from a season ago. 15 starters total, nine starters on the defensive side of the football. So you can see why they're high about the Aggies defense in 2021. But it all starts with pass rush in the SEC and in college football and the game of football as a whole, right? And they've got a really, really good one. A guy you may have never heard the name. But somebody who I expect to bust out and have a big-time 2021 season, and that is defensive end DeMarvin Leal. Leal with 37 tackles a season ago, seven tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, a pick, and a forced fumble as well. A little bit of a do-it-all type of guy, guys. Again, you hear you hear the sacks, you hear the pick, you hear the forced fumble, tackles for loss. This guy flies all over the field. He's a do-it-all type of defensive end. He can make life absolute hell for an opposing quarterback. And again, a guy that was not mentioned on any all-SEC teams a year ago, I think that changes this season. I think he's an all-conference type of player. So again, best returning player on defense for me for Texas A&M, give me defensive end DeMarvin Leal. Which brings us to the overall outlook for Texas A&M football in 2021. And guys, like I said earlier, this season for Texas A&M is all about taking the next step. Can the Aggies finally dethrone Alabama? And I guess that's the question that everyone in the SEC West has year after year after year because simply nobody can beat them, right? The SEC West and the SEC is Alabama's until somebody takes them down on a consistent basis. But this might be the year that Texas A&M is able to do it. And a lot of people aren't just picking them as, I would say, a dark horse, but picking them as the favorite to take down the Crimson Tide after all they lost from a season ago. The 2021 schedule shapes up like this 
for Texas A&M. They open up with back-to-back home games against Kent State, or excuse me, three straight. Uh, let's see. Got a lot of, l- listen to this schedule, guys. A lot of home games. They're at home against Kent State. Then they play Colorado in Denver. So not a home game. I apologize. Play Colorado in Denver week two. New Mexico at home week three. They play Arkansas week four in Arlington, Texas. Week five, they got Mississippi State at home. So, I mean, that realistically should be a 5-0 and start for Texas A&M. Then comes that big matchup week six, October the 9th, when they host the Alabama Crimson Tide at Kyle Field, which, again, guys, will probably be one of the games of the year that you need to tune into. They then have at Missouri, South Carolina at home, Auburn at home, at Ole Miss, Prairie View A&M at home, and then at LSU, which at LSU, to close it out, could be a really, really interesting matchup. And again, if Texas A&M is not able to take down Alabama, that could be a game that is for second in the SEC West. But the schedule sets up nicely. I mean, this this could certainly be a 9-9. 10, maybe 11 win Texas A&M team. It would not shock me at all to see A&M take down Alabama and win the SEC West this year. The big question, like I said, guys, is at the quarterback position because as much hell as Kellen Mond got from people and you hear you hear analysts and you hear people that talk about college football for a living talk about Kellen Mond, not everybody had the brightest opinion of him not everyone thought extremely highly of him and it, certainly there were some areas and I was a guy you know it's funny man I was a guy I heaped praise on Kellen Mond I, you know and maybe I fell victim to this because I saw Kellen Mond a few years ago at Clemson go on the road and I, actually it was the home game against Clemson but take on the Clemson Tigers and stare them in the face and have a huge game against them and I said you know what that guy is a gamer that's a guy you can win with now he battled inconsistencies I think Kellen Mond for them might be kind of like how Jake Bentley was for Salkin. And I'm not saying that Jake Bentley was as good a quarterback or is as good a quarterback as Kellen Mond. That's not what I'm saying. But in the sense of it's a guy that is good enough to win ball games, but is he really good enough to take you to that next level? You know what I mean? Is he good enough to be that game-breaker type of a guy? Is he good enough to go out there and win you a football game? And I think that is people's biggest criticism of Kellen Mond. Um, it'll be the first time again. The offense has a new has a new trigger man for the first time in three years. Zach Calzada and Haynes King will fight for the job. Calzada, his third year on campus, got a really really good arm, and then King, a second year player, was Mon's backup a season ago. So that is probably going to be the storyline of all storylines with Texas A&M in the preseason is who is going to be their starting quarterback. But they have it all. Is Texas A&M a legit? playoff contender that's the question for them going in the season because they're going to be a legitimate team I mean no doubt like I said at minimum they're a nine-win team probably a 10-win team Alabama that is the big question mark for them can they overcome that again getting them at home it's one of those things where you look at Texas A&M and you say if not this year when when are you going to take them down when are you going to take down the Alabama Crimson Tide I mean as much as they got to replace they're coming to your house this is the time to do it this is the time for Jimbo Fisher's squad to make that happen. And the, this is the year for them to get to Atlanta, to get their foot in the door there. Now, in regards to this game with South Carolina, what it means for the Gamecocks. You know, there are fewer streaks. There are a few streaks I want to see snapped more than this one against Texas A&M. Because I'll tell you this, guys. Of course, the Clemson streak is number one. But seven straight losses to the Aggies. Seven straight. You never beat 
it is really hard to justify to people that your program is headed in the right direction and going where it needs to go if you have an eight-game losing streak to anyone. I don't care who it is. I don't care how good they are. Eight games? Maybe not this year. Who knows if next year. But it is paramount for South Carolina in the near future to find a way to snap this streak. It, it absolutely is. You've got to find a way. I don't know what it is with South Carolina. I don't know what it is with A&M of why the Gamecocks have just never had success against the Aggies. And, hey, this will be pivotal for South Carolina because guess what? This is truly, for the Gamecocks, the beginning of that treacherous second half of the season, like I talked about previously. Again, Vanderbilt technically starts the second half. But this A&M game really starts that treacherous run that'll close out the 2021 season because you've got at Texas A&M, Florida at home, at Mizzou, Auburn, and Clemson. I mean, if you can come out of that last five, if you can come out of that with a winning record, three and two or better, God forbid, if you're three and two, man, you have done, you've had a hell of a season, in my opinion. Now, Will the Gamecocks be massive underdogs at Texas A&M? Yes. Will it be a challenge to handle that road environment? Because, hey, as, as, as daunting as Sanford Stadium is, I don't even know if it holds a candle to what will be awaiting you in College Station. I really don't. I really, really don't. But what will it take? I, 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 it, it's, it's really puzzling as to why the Gamecocks have had such struggles against Texas A&M. You know, there were a couple of games early on in this series where you felt like, man, South Carolina really let it slip through their fingers, really let the opportunity to beat A&M just pass them by. And I tell you what, the last couple of games, I mean, 19 and 20 have just been non-competitive blowouts. I think 19 was, what, 30, 38 to 3 or 34 to 3. And then, of course, last year was 48 to 3. I mean, they have absolutely taken you to the woodshed. If nothing else, this is one of those games, you know, we've talked about before. This is one of those games you've at least got to show up and give A&M a scare, in my opinion. Like, you've got to find a way to, if nothing else, make this series competitive once again. Because I don't think anyone, even the most garnet glasses Carolina fan, nobody is expecting you to go into College Station and win this football game. And I promise you guys, the spread will be at minimum, it will be a double-digit spread. There's no question. It will be a double-digit spread, which it probably should. You look at where the two programs are, they're not even comparable. Again, we're talking about possibly being a playoff team for Texas A&M and South Carolina, figuring it out in year one of a new head coach. So what can you really expect? Go in there and fight and give A&M a scare, if nothing else. But again, at some point in the near future, I think if you're Shane Beamer, Snapping this streak against Texas A&M has got to be a priority. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's got to be something that you look at and say, this is something we need to accomplish over our first two to three, maximum four years here. we got to figure out a way to end this because this cannot go on. You know, this can, I don't care who the opponent is. Having six and seven and eight game losing streaks, it, it can't be accepted. It can't be tolerated. It can't be put up with. So, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I, again, I don't know why. And it's, you know, A&M is very, very good. They're a very talented bunch, really good football team. But, man, the amount of trouble they have given you is a little baffling, to be honest with you. It's a little baffling. So the Gamecocks have got to find a way at some point, like I said, to snap this losing streak. And, hey, if you can't snap the losing streak, God forbid, Ray Tanner, somebody, go to the SEC office and get rid of A&M as our permanent cross-division rival because this shit is getting old. I mean, I think I speak for Gamecock Nation when I say that. But either way, going to be an interesting game. And again, how does South Carolina, I want to see this outside of everything, you know, the, the results and whatever. You know, how does South Carolina, how does this team handle that road environment in College Station, like I said? Because again, yes, you go to Sanford, and that'll be a raucous environment, no question. But going to Kyle Field is a totally different animal. It is a totally different animal. So how does this team handle that? I'll be really interested to see. Should be a lot of fun in College Station this fall. So again, that is the breakdown of the 2021 Texas A&M Aggies Gamecocks set to do battle with the Aggies October 23rd at Kyle Field in College Station, Texas. All right, guys, a couple of news and notes, and we got your listener questions regarding Texas A&M, guys, really quick. First things first, let's talk a little South Carolina men's basketball. Alonzo Frank hitting the transfer portal. Yes, more good news for Frank Martin's team. This one did surprise me a little bit. Um, you know, you never know why a kid wants to transfer. What does it mean? Who knows? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if they've got other transfers coming in. Or, but the South Carolina basketball program, the men's basketball program, I should say, I mean, guys, it, it's just a mess. It's a complete mess. I mean, who knows what's going to happen this season? You add Georgetown to the schedule, which, hey, I love the matchup in the sense of it's a really cool matchup and a fun game, but – do you have any chance to win it? Is there really a need to make your non-conference schedule tougher than it already is? Hell, we struggle with the Stetsons and the Bostons of the world. Should we really add a team like Georgetown to the schedule? But, oh, well, what's done is done. But Alonzo Frank in the transfer portal, I'll be curious to see, does Frank Martin go back to the portal to get someone to replace him? Speaking of the transfer portal, Gamecocks baseball also feeling it. Yardcocks picking up a transfer from Appalachian State, Ryan, a pitcher, Noah Hall. And from what I could tell, Hall was a pretty good player within this past season. Threw over 50 innings, uh, ERA sub four. So, you know, you are losing some pieces in your bullpen, your starting rotation, a little bit of everything. Hey, if you can add a quality arm out of that, out of that, uh, out of the transfer portal, hey, why not? So, Noah Hall, Ryan, a pitcher, added to the Yardcocks roster, and he'll have three years to play, by the way. So, can give you a lot, I think, in those three years. Uh, on the baseball side of things as well, Wes Clark and Brett Carey picking up some honors. Wes Clark named ABCA All-Region first team and also second team NCBWA All-American. Um, Brett Carey also named third team NCBWA All-American as well. So, Yardcocks picking up some postseason honors as the College World Series is set to begin this weekend in Omaha. All right, let's get into your listener questions, and we'll start with a couple from Facebook, by the way. Michael Jones asked these on Facebook. We'll start with his. He says, what do you think it will take for us to finally get over the A&M hump? Not that either is likely to happen, but which would, uh, which would be more, create more momentum with recruits this season? Beating a top three Georgia on the road or finally beating a top 10 A&M on the road? Well, first things first, what will it take for South Carolina to get over the A&M hump, to get the Aggie-sized monkey off their back? And 
I think it's really simple, Michael. I think it's really simple. You just got to go get better players. You got to go recruit because that's what Texas A&M is doing, man. You look at Texas A&M's recruiting of late. They are doing a fantastic job of bringing in top-notch athletes and top-notch recruits and big-time football players. And at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Now, I don't know why you've struggled against them so mightily. I mean, they have literally blown you out, it feels like, every time you've played. I mean, these games have been uncompetitive. And I'll tell you this, man, by the way, I don't want to spoil it because I'll talk about this more in a couple of weeks. But, you know, when you talk wins, toss-ups, and losses, and where does this game fall, I truly don't understand the Gamecock fans to say, oh, yeah, Texas A&M is a toss-up. What are you talking about? They have owned South Carolina. They're on a seven-game winning streak against the Gamecocks. Nothing about this game screams toss-up. Until South Carolina even shows the remote ability to make this a close game, nothing about this matchup screams toss-up in my mind. So what does the Gamecocks have to do to get over the hump? They got to go recruit some big-time ballplayers, because that's exactly what Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher are doing. Now, which will recreate, would create more momentum in recruiting? Beating a top three Georgia on the road or finally beating A&M, 110% beating Georgia. 110%. Number one, it'd be a bigger win. Hey, number two, you're going head-to-head with Georgia for a lot more recruits than you are going head-to-head with A&M. So no doubt in my mind, beating Georgia and talk about recruiting momentum would serve much, much greater for the Gamecocks than beating Texas A&M. As much as I'd like to snap the streak, beating Georgia would be bigger, and I prefer the Gamecocks to beat Georgia over AM. All right, let's get into our listener questions on Instagram. WF Caudill underscore four says, which of Texas AM's few weaknesses can the Gamecocks exploit? And I would say the one you have to look to at least right now, quarterback's a question. And if the Gamecocks defensive front, if that defensive line can get after an inexperienced quarterback, maybe you can force him into some mistakes. But I'll be honest with you guys, there are not a lot of weaknesses on this Texas AM team. Um, you know, there aren't a lot of areas where they are just glaring weaknesses and you can really quote unquote exploit, but that's where I would say the Gamecocks will have their best chance is it'll be somewhat of an inexperienced quarterback, a guy who hasn't played a ton. If your defensive line, JJ Nibari, Jordan Burch, Zach Pickens, if those guys can create havoc in the backfield, maybe just maybe you give yourself a chance to force a couple turnovers and get yourself in the ball game and who knows what can happen from there. So that's what I would say. Tej underscore Kofi says, A&M, I just write an L and move on. And, I mean, honestly, Tej, with the way the games have gone the last couple of years, I don't necessarily blame you. Last question here, Trev McIntyre underscore says, will Kevin Harris run for 150 yards and two touchdowns and we get blown out by 28? God, Trev, do you have, like, a crystal ball, like, where you see into the future? Because that kind of sounds like what might happen. Heck, I don't know. But uh, will Kevin Harris run for 150 and two touchdowns? I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. Hey, that would at least give you a chance, right? So, who knows? Uh, guys, appreciate the listener questions. We're going to get into our interview now. Former Gamecocks third baseman, Adrian Morales. Truly appreciate Adrian taking the time, guys. In case you didn't know, we had Adrian on the show two years ago. So, it's been a while, but really do truly appreciate Adrian taking the time, man. The captain of the Gamecocks back-to-back national championship teams. The heart and soul of those ball clubs and truly, man, an incredible conversation each and every single time we sit down and talk. Man, this is a guy that will make you want to run through a brick wall. And I see why he's a head coach and having so much success down there at Miami Dade, guys. So, again, great conversation with Adrian Morales. Sit back, relax, enjoy. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. Guys, 
Father's Day is literally this Sunday, just around the corner. You probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0, an ultra smooth package. Hey, you know what they say? Like father, like son, the brand new Lawnmower 4.0, an ultra smooth package is perfect for you and the dad in your life to complete your grooming game. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code TSUS at manscaped.com. Guys, we've all been there, right? We're manscaping. We're cleaning up. We're trimming up. We cut ourselves. We nick ourselves. We're bleeding. It burns. It hurts. It's the absolute worst. We've all got a hairy dad, by the way, that needs help in that department. Need I say more? Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming, and their brand-new shaving tools just dropped right in time for Father's Day. Guys, the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is now available in the USA and Canada. What makes this waterproof trimmer different from all the other trimmers, you might ask? This 7,000 RPM trimmer features skin-safe technology to keep your balls in check and has helped reduce manscaping accidents around the world. A new multifunction on and off switch can engage a travel lock created for jet setters. Also, the Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K, that's a lot of K, 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Also, they have additional guard links with sizes one through four that let you trim to your liking. Guys, I love investing in the best new technology and advancements, and I'm blown away by the performance. Guys, the craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. If you want to get the complete package, which, by the way, I got it, guys, this thing's a lifesaver. The Manscaped Ultra Smooth Package is a three-step kit to help keep your family jewels protected. Step one, the Crop Exfoliator, which is infused with ingredients that can soothe, clear, and keep the skin on and around your groin, feeling refreshed, reducing the risk of ingrown hairs, by your delicates, ingrown hairs, no bueno. You need the crop exfoliator. Step two is the crop gel. See where you're shaving with our unique clear shaving gel just for the groin. And then step three, it's time to shave. The crop shaver was designed for shaving the groin area with confidence. Three precision blades include extra wide lubricating strips and a pivoting head for the ultimate groin grooming experience. All three of these vegan, cruelty-free, and sulfate-free products are included so you know your manhood is in good hands. Guys, stop imagining that your dad has it covered because he probably doesn't. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TSUS at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the promo code TSUS. Guys, it's dad bod season. Time to get smooth. This is the perfect package for you and your dad's perfect package. Guys, appreciate you all tuning in. Now, enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks third baseman, Adrian Morales. All right, joining us on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks baseball from 2010 to 2011. During his career, he hit 277 with 12 home runs and 96 RBI, of course, helped lead the Gamecocks to back-to-back national championships in 2010 and 2011. He was drafted in the 49th round of the MLB draft by the Kansas City Royals and played pro baseball from 2011 to 2013. Currently, he serves as the head coach of Miami-Dade College and led the Sharks in this past season to a a 36 and 19 and 14 and 8 conference record and was named coach of the year for that conference. Gamecocks third baseman, former Gamecocks third baseman, and a key component to that back to back national championship run, former South on a third baseman, Adrian Morales. Adrian, I appreciate you taking the time and it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for doing this. 
Yeah, man, no problem. Every time I get a chance to, to talk about anything that has to do with Carolina baseball or talk to anybody that's involved in Carolina baseball, um, it's my pleasure. I'll, I'll make time for you guys um, at the drop of a hat. Well, Adrian, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Sincerely, I know we did this a couple of years ago. It only felt right to get you back on once again, of course. Uh, I want to go back to, you know, when you chose Salcona, because, of course, you're coaching at Miami-Dade College where you played uh, your, your junior collegiate ball and then, of course, chose South Carolina and went to Columbia and the rest is history. But uh, we all know, of course, last time you were on, we talked about Ray Tanner and your relationship with him and, you know, how you got to Columbia. Just walk me through once again how that came about. What did Ray Tanner sell you on in regards to the program because of course 2009 those guys were coming off of a really tough loss in the regionals at ECU a heartbreaking type of loss and believe it you know what's crazy is I remember vividly people starting to say oh has Ray Tanner lost it you know we haven't been to Omaha in about four years or so and you know people were spoiled right because we'd gone to Omaha so much and, and the winning and everything and what did he sell you on? Did, did he tell you, hey, we've got a team coming back in 2010 that we really feel can be an Omaha type of club? I know that obviously Drew Crisp was wrapping up his career and Sal kind of needed a third baseman. But, uh, you know, what, what did Ray Tanner sell you on when it comes to the Gamecocks program? And why did you choose South Carolina? Well, first off, he didn't sell me nothing. You know, literally, he asked me when I was there uh, at our dinner, are you Adrian Morales? I said, yeah. He said, nice to meet you. He didn't say a word after that. Um, so he wasn't, he wasn't the, the salesman. Um, the salesman was Holbrook. Um, you know, everything, every, every time I spoke to Holbrook, it was just kind of a, a, a need that they needed. And, and you can tell in, in his voice and everything, he was so genuine. Um, he didn't sound like a salesman, whether he was or not. Um, and you can tell he really wanted me to go to South Carolina. Um, but dude, to be honest with you, the selling point was SEC. That was the selling point for me. It, it had nothing really to do with, um, with Tanner had nothing to do, you know, with Holbrook. It had to do with the SEC and just depending on how much scholarship money I was going to get. Um, I had offers from university of Miami college of Charleston and FIU. Um, but there's nothing like SEC baseball. Um, and, and, and that was the selling point was I wanted, I, I wanted to play against the best um, because back then um, it was – he's too small. You know, at, at my junior college, I remember scouts saying best player in Florida is Adrian Morales, but we can't take him because he's 5'7". Um, so I wanted, I wanted to go somewhere where I was going to play against the best, um, hopefully compete and get a chance to play pro ball, um, and that was my mindset. You know, the, everything else after that, if – you know, Tanner thankfully didn't say anything – Maybe we would have butted heads in that first dinner and I would have been like, you know what? I ain't playing for this guy. Um, but no, nah, man, he, he didn't say much. Um, Holbrook, just genuine guy. Um, and the SEC so, sells itself. Uh, so I saw the field um, and I, I went to hang out with a couple of the guys. I didn't even get I didn't even go out and party. I, I it did. That, that wasn't why I wanted to go there. You know, uh, I remember D'Angelo Mack and Bobby Haney telling me, hey, we got a party we're going to go to, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, yo, just take me back to my hotel room. I didn't want to party. That's, that's not the reason why I wanted to make a decision. Right. Um, but it was the SEC, and I wanted to play against the best and, and compete against the best, and, and that's why I chose South Carolina. Mm -hmm. 
Now, you're one of those guys, Adrian, that you could just tell in your two years at Carolina. And again, it's really interesting because you came from Miami-Dade. Even as a first-year player, you know, you were a an older player, if you will, but in 2010, a first-year guy. But you could see you were a very well-respected guy. You were a leader. You were a captain on that ball club. How, how quickly did that happen for you? And it sounds like, of course, again, you came in with a chip on your shoulder, everybody telling you you're not big enough. And, of course, you're fighting for a job as soon as you get to South Carolina – um, and I'm sure that chip on your shoulder helped drive that. But where do you think that came from? Because anybody that, that played sports can tell you and that's the biggest thing is, is, you know, getting the commanding the respect from your teammates. And, and you were able to do that extremely successfully. Again, you started every single game in 10 and 11. But I, I look at more so the way that your teammates interacted with you, the way you interacted with coaches. That's what really stand out to, it stands out to me is, is the overall leadership and, and the way you carried yourself on the field. How quickly did that click for you? Is that something you made a point? Is that I want to make sure my teammates respect me and they can look to me, you know, when the going gets tough, you know, I'm going to get going and lead this ball club the way it needs to be led. Man, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's, I'm laughing and smiling because that first fall, it wasn't easy at all. You know, I'm coming in, I'm, I'm coming in supposedly to take Wingo's spot, um, which was going to be tough, two-year starter, um, better, better glove than me for sure. Um, you know, he's, he's one of my best friends now to this day. Um, but, but dude, that first fall, I didn't speak to many people. Mm. I didn't talk. I didn't do nothing. I, you know, I, I didn't have a good fall because I wasn't able to be myself. Um, you know, as far as being the leader that I always was, um, it, it, it comes natural to me. It wasn't fake. Um, it's just who I am. Um, I, I want to win and I want to do everything I can to help my teammates be successful and the coaching staff. But that first fall, I remember guys plunking me, whether it was on purpose or not, I got hit extremely a, a lot of times. Hmm. Um, I remember hitting a home run off somebody and kind of pimping it, but not really pimping it what pimping it is now, hmm. kind of just watching it. I get in the dugout. And Jay Brown, super senior, tells me, hey, Morales, next time you do that to one of our players, um, we're going to throw we're going to throw at you. You know, so it, I wasn't welcome that first fall. Mm. Um, I, I, I didn't start being myself until the Clemson series where I got a chance to play. Um, and guys kind of started to see that it wasn't about me. I wasn't playing about me. I was playing to win. I was trying to help. I was just trying to be a part of 35 other players. Um, and little by little, the more I played, the more I got to be free and become myself. Um, and and kind of they started to welcome me in and, and say, you know what? He's one of us. Um, so, dude, it, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. Um, but the chip on the shoulder comes from, you know, I, I played in high school with Yasmani Grandal, big leaguer, um, still a good friend of mine. And I was always overlooked, regardless of what I did numbers-wise. You know, at, at some of those high school years, I was the best player on the team, even though he was there. Um, but I was always overlooked. Um, I was overlooked coming out of high school. No D1s offered me. Um, I went to Miami-Dade. So the chip has been there since I was little. Um, my mom gave me that chip. Um, she raised four boys. It was almost like us against everybody. Um, so it, the chips, the chip was there from my mom. You know, I saw her working her tail off um, 
raised four boys um, with my grandma. So, you know, it, it was instilled in me since I was little. Um, and even to this day, man, I coach with it. Uh, and I always think that somebody's trying to um, take it from me. And um, that's how I've been since I was little. And, and I'll continue to be that way. That's how I stay with an edge. For sure. Now, Adrian, that 2010 season, you know, I think so funny. And I just chuckle when I hear fans talk about it because people remember 10 and even 11, but especially 10, they remember 10, you know, just for the national championship. And if you talk to people, you'd, you'd think we didn't lose a game, right? But it didn't start out that way. Like people forget you guys lost two or three to ECU, lost two or three to Clemson and lost in that Sunday Clemson game. I think what was it? 19 to six or something like just got blasted at home. So there was a lot of adversity. And it's funny, I had Coach Holbrook on the show a couple months ago, and I asked him, like, you know, I asked him, did you guys know, you know, before the season started or whatever, that that you guys were, you know, College World Series caliber or national champion caliber? He's like, no, <laughs> we honestly didn't. I mean, especially with just the way it started and everything. And um, he, he recalled some of the funny conversations he had with Coach Tanner. But people just, fans don't realize just how much, you know, a baseball season, it truly is a marathon, not a sprint. There's so much adversity that you have to overcome and a team, a team evolves and changes and comes into its own and call it for what it is. A team gets hot, but was there, was there a moment for you, whether it be, I think you guys maybe swept Arkansas on the road. Was it, I think, or there was a big series win in there somewhere, but was there a moment in 2010 where, and again, early on, maybe it wasn't clicking, whatever you guys didn't start out too hot, but was there a moment mid season later in the season where it clicked for you? Like, okay, we're not just a really good team. We are a, national champion caliber like we could legitimately go all the way this year well dude I, again remember I, I came from juco so I don't, I don't know what a regional is i don't know what a super regional is i don't even know what a national championship is right, right? so like i don't even know what omaha it is at this point i'm just playing and i remember we get to arkansas and the first game before the game starts i'm kind of towards the third baseline um, and some fans are chirping at me, and but in a, in a good way, not in a nasty way. Great baseball fans in Arkansas, and uh, I'm guessing it's a season ticket holder. He's right on the right first row. He tells me, "You guys are in for a long weekend," and I tell him, "We're gonna sweep you guys, and you don't even know it yet, right?" So we win game one. Again, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just talking out of my you know what? And I don't, I don't know if we're going to sweep or not, but that's what we're going in there trying to win every game. So I go, we're going to sweep you guys. Game one, we win. I look over, wink at the older man. <laughs> game two, we win. I wink at him again. He's, he's starting to look kind of like, oh, oh, crap. Game three, we win five to three. I remember Witt hit two home runs. I go yard to like left center. We finish the game. I point at him. He tips his hat to me. That last inning, their third base coach tells me, you guys are good enough to win it all. You guys got two starters. You guys are a hell of a team. You guys are good enough to win it all. That's when, I, in my mind, I was like, okay, we got a chance to win it all. For sure. And then you punch the ticket, of course, in that Coastal Carolina Super Regional. Like I said, Adrian, I know the last time we had you on, I feel like we went game by game by game. And that, that's a show that could extend hours among hours among hours. But like you said, when you got to South Carolina, you didn't even know what a regional was, Super Regional, weren't familiar with Omaha. When you got to Omaha, you know, we hear so much about 
it's just getting there. That is the experience. Just getting there is like living out the dream. Like what were your first impressions of Omaha as a whole? Again, you speak of great baseball fans. The people out there absolutely love it. Normally, you know, even if you're out there and the people in Omaha, they, they don't necessarily have a team they're clinging to. Like the hometown team is there. They normally pick a team. And what you notice was South Carolina was that team in 10 and 11 and even 12. But your first impressions of Omaha when you guys got there and kind of experienced it, what did you take away just the overall experience of Omaha and the College World Series as a whole? Well, man, I remember, I remember uh, Coach Tanner having an interview once we got there. And his interview was where he said a quote where he was, he said, we're just happy to be here. And Dude, if you know me, I'm, I'm not just happy to be anywhere. I, my mindset was I'm going in there. We're going in there to win the, this tournament. Um, and I, it's, I know it sounds, it sounds kind of cliche, and, but it, it's just how I felt. And I needed that because I wasn't as talented as some of these other guys. So I always needed this chip. And I used Coach Tanner's line to tell the guys, right? yo, we're not just happy to be here. And I remember telling Coach Tanner in front of the whole team, hey, after one of our practices at, at Creighton, I go, hey, we're not just happy to be here. We're here to win this tournament. And he tells me, he goes, I know that. I'm here to win this tournament too, but I got to tell the media and keep things vanilla. We're just happy to be here. I know, and he's cursing, and he's like, I want to effing win this thing too, yada, 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 and we're all – getting riled up, but that was my first interaction with Omaha and, and with all of Omaha and, and, and impression. Um, but, dude, I, I went back to my room and I saw highlights of all the big leaguers that played there mm. in Omaha um, and all the big home runs, the home run the guy from LSU hit against Miami. The year before that, I saw LSU win it. Um, so I went back and watched some highlights on, on some of the guys that played there. Barry Bonds played there. So many names. Um, and that was really the big difference for me between 2010 and 2011, where there was a history in Rosenblatt hmm. of all the big leaguers that had played there before me. Um, and it was just a feeling of like an awe of, wow, you know, Bonds was here before me. Um, so-and-so was here before me, you know, and, and just a feeling of, of gratefulness of, of, you know, what I made the right decision to come here. Um, everything, you know, it, it, it was a great experience and I'm glad I got to share it with those guys. Yeah. And Adrian, one of, one of your favorite stories that you told me the last time you were on, and I want to bring it back up was the, the first Oklahoma game when, uh, you flew out to end the game and, uh, you know, the way it sat with you and you talk about the chip on your shoulder that you play with. And it's obvious, you know, you could watch, you could see it when you played, but obviously that fueled you. you. You guys go out there and spank Arizona state and you get another, another shot at Oklahoma. And I mean, who can forget that game with JBJ's two strike hit and uh, the walk off and the rest is history, of course. But uh, you know, it, it's hard to win a national championship. It's, it's hard to even get there, but to win the college world series, is extremely tough but it's even tougher to win it out of the loser's bracket. And you guys did that. But again, walk me through that Oklahoma game. You fly out, and, and obviously you're pissed off, you're upset, but you use it as fuel to the fire. You know, you hit an absolute bomb the next day against ASU, but just the way it fueled you, the way it fueled the team. I mean, they were, you know, I know you guys have joked before, and I, I've had you know Michael Roth and others on their jokes. Say, well, I, I don't know how much longer we're going to be in Omaha, but there was obviously a, 
a don't say die mentality with that 2010 group. Dude, you know, when, when, when we, when I fly out, um, that again, we could have scored more runs in the game. We could have maybe given up less runs here, whatever. Every time we lost and I had a chance to deliver, I always felt like it was my fault that we lost. Right. So I get back to the hotel room and I've told this story before I text Kyle Enders and, and Jay Brown, guys that have been in Carolina for a long time. And, dude, I'm in my hotel room. I'm crying. I'm, tw- I'm, a, I'm 21 years old, crying about a baseball game. Um, and I text them and I tell them, this one's on me. I'm going to give you everything I got next game. We're not going to go home. Yada, 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 whatever. I don't remember what I wrote, but it was something to that effect. To their credit, they both write back to me. Uh, we got your back. We wouldn't be here without you. Um, let's turn the page, whatever, something to that effect. I go yard, whatever. I'm, I'm happy we, we won, but we're still trying and, and competing. Um, and again, dude, it takes everybody um, to win. And it's not just me. It's, it's Jackie's big time hits. It's Walker's big time hits. It's Brady's big time hits. Um, it's the pitching. It's everybody. Um, but yeah, man, it, it, it was for some of us, it was, a never say die mentality for other guys. They couldn't play that way. They treated it as, Hey, we're just here for another day. Let's have some fun and let's just go about and whatever happens, happens like Michael Roth. I'm sure Mike, Mike wasn't crying <laughs> or nothing like that. Like I was, mm. um, he, he probably needed it the other way. Hey, I'm here to have fun. I'm just going to go out there and pitch and whatever happens, happens. It is what it is. I, I didn't treat it that way. Um, I felt like every, every, every game mattered to me, every out mattered to me. I didn't want to let these guys down, especially Enders and the seniors, Cooper, Dyson, Jay Brown, you know, so many guys, I didn't want to let anybody down. Um, so that's how I felt. Now, Adrian, being a coach, being a coach now, I'm curious to ask you again, what that 10 team had in 11, even, but certainly 10 with the leadership and leadership. Is that something you can really coach or, I mean, do you just have to recruit the right kids or because there's obviously an intangible when it comes to championship teams and, and, uh, what separates the champions from everyone else? I mean, is that something you can coach in a kid or you gotta, you gotta find that in recruiting or how does that work in your, how does that work in your opinion? I think you need to watch your recruits closely, right? It can't just be you saw them in a tournament, you signed them, and that's it. You got to follow up with them, and you got to stay with them. And when you're recruiting a guy, the same intangibles you saw, let's say Holbrook, right? The same intangibles him and Calvi saw in me is you try to pick that up while you're watching a kid play. Um, and Because everybody can lead when you're hitting well, when you're playing well. The problem is trying to lead when you're over four that day. You know, it's not easy. Um, and and I, I've had to do it. And trust me, it's not easy to, to smile and, and cheer when you're over four. You haven't done anything uh, to contribute to a win, but you got to find a way to, to, to it's not about you anymore. You're part of a bigger, a bigger, a bigger thing right here. Um, and it is so hard nowadays to find that. Um, you know, it's so many guys are so selfish and it's about me and my Instagram posts and I want to get here. I want to do this. And there's so many front running leaders that when they're going well, yeah, they're great teammates and great leaders. But when they're 0 for 4, you can't even hear from them. 
you know, and, and those are the worst guys to have around, you know, because those guys, when they're not playing well, they can drag people down with you. Um, it's, it's, it's tough. Obviously the head guy always is the leader, but if you can get two or three guys to take on the mentality of the head coach, and now the coach just needs to write the lineup and those guys are responsible and can hold each other accountable and everybody's being held accountable. That's when, you know, you have a good team, whether you win or lose is, is completely out of your hands. But when you have leaders that are holding others accountable, that's when, you know, you've done a good job. For sure. Like I said, you guys sure. certainly like had that in that 2010 team. I, I want to jump to the, I want to the, the walk-off. Which walk-off? You guys win the first national championship in school history. Again, just try to describe that moment. I'm sure it's something where your feet are off the ground, kind of a surreal type feeling. I remember you telling me last time you went and tackled Wingo, tackled Witt, and it, just, it had that storybook type of ending in 2010. You, you lose yourself, right? Everything. You know, Tanner, I remember Tanner saying that everything slowed down for him. Not for me. Everything was so fast. And and you're hugging guys with with emotion that you've never had. Um, and you're squeezing guys. And you've been around these guys all year long. And, and to see, you know, kind of all your hard work and all the failures, um, all the successes. And you're so happy. You don't care who got the knock. That's the biggest thing is you don't even care who got the knock. Um, you, you, you want, it, it didn't matter who got the accolades with that team. It didn't matter, um, who did it, who didn't do it. We just all collectively wanted to win. Um, and, and the coaching staff did a really good job of tricking us. Right. And I say tricking us by telling us that we were always the underdogs and we were always the ones that had to play with a chip. And then you look and there's like six guys in the big leagues, Right. Talking about we didn't have, you know, pro talent, this, this, and that. You got like six guys in the big league still playing at a high level. Um, but Tanner did a really good job of making sure we played with a chip. Um, but, yeah, man, that, that feeling of winning, um, it's a, it is an, it's an out-of-body experience. And you're hugging guys so hard that you've never hugged before like that. Um, and it's, it's a great experience, and I, I'm glad I got to share it with those guys. Now, like you mentioned yeah, last time, Adrian, 2011 was a little bit different with the more uh, business-like mentality, if you will. But you guys accomplished the same goal, and it's, it's cra- I'm sure it feels crazy to you, man. It's been 10 years, uh, and the Gamecock baseball Twitter and social media has been you know, posting highlights and, and reliving that you know, 10 years to date, whatever. Um, that 2011 um, season, that, 2011 that run, it, that it was run. still special. Was you know, you take special, down Florida, you know, you take of course, one of the craziest baseball games we've ever seen in that game one. It was different, but still special. How would you compare it to 2010? It was different. It was different. Um, it was special, too, but, dude, I can't lie. It's not the same. <laughs> it wasn't the same. Just and, and I think it has a lot to do with um, – you know, you already – this is the first one we all won in the whole South Carolina one. Uh, all the fans got to experience that. Um, but it was also – you're not playing in Rosenblatt. You know, it was it was just different, man. It was – there was a different feel. Um, and it didn't feel anymore like we were the underdogs, right? It felt like we were being hunted, um, but it also felt like we had – a mental edge on everybody we played against 
because we had been there and done that. And if you watch those games, those games that went into extra innings, Tanner always talked about it being the best team from the sixth through the ninth, play clean baseball, clutch hitting, be tough outs and clutch pitching. Do not beat yourself and you'll have a chance to win. The first team that beats themselves will lose. And Florida did it, man. They beat themselves. Virginia beat themselves. They made an error on a bunt play. Um, we didn't make any errors. Florida made an error. Zunino throws the ball into center field. Center fielder over, uh, air mails the, the, the third baseman or bounced it. We score on errors, and we didn't beat ourselves. Um, but it was, it was definitely a different feel. Ring still feels the same, putting it on. Not going to lie. I think the second ring looks better than the first one. Um, but it, it was a great experience, and we had new guys, right? We, we got Mooney. You know, I played against Mooney and Juco. Um, so it was nice having Mooney experience that. Um, the freshmen and incoming guys, um, the Forrest Kumis, the Sean Anderson, um, uh, some of those guys that, that were new, um, Patrick Harrington. You know, so it, it was nice to have shared that with the incoming class. So going forward, the incoming class that was there knows what it takes to win. Um, it, it was, it was, they were both special, but 2010 was, was more special. Now, I want to ask you this specifically, Adrian. It's interesting interesting you bring this up. Ray Tanner's coaching style. style. Um, Because I think a lot of fans, you know, I I know his style changed a little bit with the teams in 10 and 11. But, you know, some fans like to say that, oh, Ray Tanner was so small ball focused, loved to hit and run. But you mentioned, you know, he believed you got to win the last three, you got to play solid defense, don't beat yourself. I mean, would you call Ray Tanner a small ball coach? Because the Ray Tanner I know is telling guys on 2030, come out of your shoes, come out of one of the stands. I know he evolved with his. In 10 11 got much more, and even 12 got much more situational in regards to hitting. But you know, what would you say was Ray Tanner's offensive philosophy and hitting style while you were there? Well, so before I got there, I, that's what I heard. The same thing that he wanted you to drive baseballs, yada yada yada. The team I played on, it was it wasn't that. It was he would pick his spots, but. The biggest phrase he had, which I love and I use it till now, he always used to say, play the percentages. And that's that stuck with me even now through coaching. Um, play the percentages, play the percentages. And I remember, um, and I think I've told you this, I had an at-bat against Ole Miss. It's nine to five. It's like the seventh inning, first and second. And I'm on deck and he tells me I'm on my way to walk to to the to go hit. I'm two for three at this point in the series. I think I got five RBIs, so I'm feeling good about myself right now. And he tells me, hey, you're going to bunt these guys over right here. And I go, why? <laughs> We're up four. It's the seventh. I'm hot right now. And he, <laughs> he looks up at the scoreboard, which I, I – I, like if I ever got the coach there, I would take the averages down. He looked up at the scoreboard, and he goes – you're hitting 280. You're two for three on the day. That means you're hitting above 280 for the day. Chances are you're going to ground into a double play. You're not fast. And they're going to get out of this inning. A grand slam next inning can tie the game. This guy, it's like he knew I was going to ask why. He had everything lined up for me already. I go, okay, I want to stay in the lineup. 
I want to play the next day. So I go, all right. First pitch ball. Second pitch, I bunt it towards the third base side. Third baseman covers the bag. Pitcher comes to home. No man's land. It's a base hit. How baseball is, we ground into a double play. We don't even score that inning. But when I come back into the dugout, he goes, now you're three for four today. I just raised your average. <laughs> right? But so the, 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 during those two years, he was um, opportunistic, right? It wasn't just all small ball. But he saw when there was a good guy on the mound and he wanted to score first, he would do it. He would bunt guys over. He would hit and run because he wanted to get the lead because he knew how good we were in those late innings, right? So he was just trying to get ahead because he knew in those late innings, we would find a way to hold the lead or tack on a run or two because we were so good in those innings. Mm. We were clutch. Mm. We were we were good situational hitting-wise. So I, I think he evolved, like people say, but it was it was depending on the team, right? If he, if he brought me in and I was a guy that was going to hit 15 to 20 bombs, um, he would take that. You know, he he would he would say, you know what, Mo, go go swing it, but he didn't, right? He knew what type of player I was, he knew what type of player Wingo was, he knew what type of player Haney was, you know. So he knew his guys, and that's the biggest thing: it's knowing your guys. If you don't know your guys, you can't make any good decisions bullpen wise, uh, pinch hitting wise, um, bunt hit and run wise. If you don't know your guys, you got no chance to win at all. And that's the biggest thing I learned. If you're in the trenches with your guys and you know your guys, you know exactly what to call. You know exactly who to hit in this situation. And you know exactly who to bring in with runners on first and second and you need a double play ball. You know exactly who to get. John Taylor, Jose Mata, Matt Price. He knew it. He knew his guys. Yeah, and I'm sure that's something, Adrian, obviously <laughs> you implement and see as a head coach, of course, and, and knowing your guys. And I, I'm glad you bring that up because I wanted to get in this side with you. know, Of course, like I said, Adrian, the last time you were on, we, we talked about your Gamecocks career and, and broke it down thoroughly. And I'm excited to talk with you more about just overall baseball and the game because analytics has just – taken over the game like right right like when you played and this is when I was playing too but when you played like analytics we didn't know about spin rate we didn't know launch angle we just knew see ball hit ball throw ball just play the game of baseball but now of course and the numbers are great right like having all that information having all that technology if you use it correctly is only a plus but I feel at times coaches are so dependent on it they're so dependent on the analytics and it leads people to maybe overthinking certain situations. Like you said, play the percentages, right? That's a great phrase, great slogan, and a great way to coach. But do you feel like – how do you feel about analytics overall and in your coaching style? Are you a guy that likes the analytics a lot? Because I think you would probably agree there's got to be a balance. Like there has to be somewhat of, okay, you take into account what the numbers say, but there has to also be some baseball instinct there, right? Like the stuff Ray Tanner did was not because of analytics. That was a man that just knew the game of baseball – I mean, you talk to yourself, you talk to a lot of his former players. He just knew it was going to happen. He knew situations. He knew his players. He knew how things were going to play out, and he put them in the best possible position to succeed, and most of the time it worked out. But for you as a coach, and just you, Adrian, as a baseball man and a baseball fan, your overall thoughts on the way analytics have shifted the game of baseball, do you like them, dislike them, and how do you use them as a coach? 
So, so I think that there is a there is a place for it in baseball. Um, but so when when we're doing tryouts, we have a track man. We we got a rap. We'll have a rap soda now that we're gonna purchase. When we got tryouts for walk-ons and and kids that we want to see, we'll 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 see spin rate, this this and that. We'll use it in in the fall, um, just to jot down who's got the the best breaking ball. You know whose ball spins the most. But this, all this information has to be correlated with heart and let's call it what it is, balls, right? And toughness, right? So when, when I'm going to the bullpen, yeah, the guy that I'm going to face, that I, I need a guy that has a really good slider, right? So I'll look at my numbers and I'll say, okay, so-and-so has got a good slider. But so-and-so doesn't pitch well with guys on base, Right. He's not tough enough. Mm. Who's the second guy? That guy's got a pretty good slider, too. Not as good as the number one guy, but this guy's tougher. Right. So, yeah, the numbers can help you make decisions, but it can't just be about the numbers. Right. If, if not, you, you really have no feel. You turn into a robot. You still got to trust your instincts. But but, dude, it goes back to knowing your players mm. and, and knowing knowing who's going to give you the best chance to win. Um, but we do use those numbers in order for that, to know who's got the best breaking ball. But it's got to be correlated with, can this guy get an, get me an out? Because maybe he's not good with runners on. Maybe he's soft. He's got the best slider. Chances are he's going to choke it three times, four times, and put this guy on, right? So there is a place for it in baseball, but it can't just be about those numbers. Because ultimately it's it's – it's, it's got to be about the heart. It's got to be about, um, you know, the toughness, the guts, you know, and, and knowing who's going to make a pitch or who's the guy to pinch hit. Um, as far as launch angle, dude, I, there, there's, there's I, I, like, I like a slightly up, right? Try to hit a line drive over the shortstop, over the second baseman's head. I think so much information is driving these kids crazy. Mm. You know, so many hitting gurus. Everybody's a hitting guru now. Nobody has a feel for how that pitcher is going to get you out, right? The biggest phrase I use with my hitters, and I, I, stay, I stay by the dugout during the games, how is this guy going to get you out? If he's a righty that's throwing 86 to 88, runners in scoring position, chances are you're going to get a bunch of uh, sliders. Look for a, a, a fastball middle away. That way you're on time for a slider. If, if he throws you the slider that hangs, we can bang it to left, right? But we're always on time for the fastball middle away. You're not going to get a fastball middle win 86-88. It's a mistake if you do, right? So that, to me, is the biggest loss art in baseball, the art of hitting. The art of hitting, the approach, all of that has been lost. The figuring it out yourself, right? Every And now you get a kid that, He's struggling. Oh, coach, what's going on with my mechanics? I, and it's not your mechanics. Do you swing at two breaking balls in the dirt? You took the fastball down the middle, <laughs> right? So there's there's so much. The, the art of hitting is lost. The going backside is lost. Um, to me, it, 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 and it has a lot to do with, with, with pro baseball. Those guys can do launch angle because those guys can hit the ball wherever they want. Mm -hmm. If you ask Fernando Tatis to hit a ground ball to second base, he can do that. Right. But he's getting paid to do what? To hit home runs. You're not getting paid to pull balls into the shift. 
in college. <laughs> You're not getting paid to strike out, mm. right? So yeah, I'm I'm okay. I'm I'm all for three old green lights. I I gave it a lot. Um, I hit and ran maybe five times this year. I I maybe sacrificed, bunted one or two guys all year. Why? But because we work so hard in the fall of knowing how guys are going to pitch to us and all of those other intangibles and, and a mental side of the game that my guys were prepared. I didn't need to hit and run so much. I didn't need to bunt so much because I trusted my guys and I know my guys. Right. So is there a place for in baseball for stuff like that? Yes. Can it all be that? No, there's got to be a, a happy medium to everything. Yeah, and Adrian, you kind of led me to my next point, man, which was the overall culture of baseball. Because, of course, you know, I, I covered South Carolina throughout this entire year, and you, you mentioned the kids and being flooded with information. And something I preached near the end of the season, because let's face it, South Carolina struggled at the plate this year. They did. That was their Achilles heel. I think they had a pitching staff good enough to, you know, as good as we've seen in quite a while, a, a staff good enough to get them maybe to Omaha, you know, as good as, as, good as there was in the conference. But hitting was the issue. And I, I started preaching this end of the year, but – productivity over power and I just feel like kids get so lost in like you're saying the analytics and the numbers and you know the culture of baseball now is everybody wants to hit 500 foot home runs and everybody wants to throw 100 outside of that like you said it is truly a lost art to be a productive hitter to be good at the little things to be good at situational hitting to be good at two out hitting because like you said that's not what makes the big bucks. You know, I'll never forget a video I watched a couple of years ago with Josh Donaldson. And I understand what Josh is doing. I understand what he's saying, but I think it's almost detrimental when he's saying they don't pay you to hit ground balls. They pay you to hit bombs. But it's like everybody's taking on that mentality. And at the college game, it's different because you're not playing as, you know, at that level, you are, you're playing as an individual for the most part, right? You're playing for your contract. I mean, of course, you're trying to win the game and you're trying to win as a team, but especially in the minor leagues, like you've been there, Adrian, you are playing to get to the next level. It is an individual type deal. I mean, you're not gone to the days where you're pulling for your buddy to do better than you or you don't care who gets the knot. No, you want to be the guy that gets the knot because you're trying to get paid. You're trying to get promoted, all that stuff. Do you feel like the overall culture of baseball, like does it need to be shaken a little bit? Because I I look at South Carolina, and I'm not trying to dog our guys. This is a problem everywhere, I feel like, where it's like everybody is so obsessed with the gaudy power numbers, and you're seeing strikeouts go up. And, I mean, I, you know, the pitchers are throwing ungodly stuff now. I mean, there are obviously questions at the big league level and all levels about the, you know, using substances or whatever, which has been going on forever, by the way. But your overall thoughts, again, just on the culture of baseball, and, again, you're a coach. So it, hit, it hits home for you and handling that, and like you said, checking egos at the door and making sure guys are playing for the right reasons. Because again, at the pro level, like you said, when you're getting paid and you're as good as those guys, you know, those guys, they can just show up to the field and cut it on. But these college kids where it's like, it is about winning ball games. And if you win ball games, scouts want to come watch those teams that are good. And that's how you're going to get scouted and get drafted and get to the next level. What do you see in regards to the overall game of baseball and everything I just mentioned? Well, again, I, I think that the game is starting to shift back, right, where it's becoming so hard to hit these arms in the big leagues. I mean, you got guys that don't belong throwing no hitters, throwing no hitters, mm. right? Wade Miley threw a no hitter, not a knock on Wade Miley, but he's not a no hitter type of guy, right? Jacob DeGrom, I don't think he's throwing no hitter this year. He's the best pitcher in baseball, right? So you got guys that are throwing no hitters in baseball, 
Um, and 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 the pro and the big league level and the pro level, I understand. I understand what they pay for. I get it. But now a lot of universities and colleges are are starting to take on this. I want to run it like the pros to, uh, like the pros do, and it don't work, right? You're not dealing with the same elite hitters that the big leagues has, right? Um, so I think I think, and I keep talking to scouts down here in, in South Florida. I think the game is starting to shift back, where they're going to they're going to get to be more of the hitability guys, guys that can hit over 300. I mean, dude, you look up and down lineups. Arkansas didn't have a guy over 300, and they were the most you know offensive dominant team in in college baseball. But they're home now, right? Yeah. They faced a guy in yeah. Game Three that was throwing a bunch of changeups and a bunch of sliders. And they couldn't make any adjustments because everybody was just trying to lift, hmm. right? Everybody was nobody was trying to hit the ball the other way. Um, so you 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 kind of see it, um, and I, I think it'll shift back. You know, my I, I, my biggest take from it, dude. I, I went and looked at the line I got, after South Carolina got eliminated. I went and looked at their lineup because I follow them on Instagram, and I always see everybody hitting home runs. Right, videos of this guy, videos of that guy. Mm. And I'm like, Christ, they, they must be going off offensively, right? So I go look at Wes Clark, right? Great season, 24 bombs. I think he led the league in home mm. runs. Yep, yep, he mm. did. Yep, yep. Right, so, and I go look at his numbers. There's 24 home runs with 56 RBIs. I went back to look at my junior numbers, nine home runs, 56 RBIs. Something ain't matching up there, mm. right? I got nine home runs. He's got 24. We both have the same amount of RBIs, right? So some, something something was off. Um, um, and it's not a knock on him. It's, it's just maybe no adjustments with two strikes. Um, being Maybe it's okay in their program now for them to strike out. I don't know. I'm not there. Um, the kid had a great year. It was fun to watch him. But there's something off there, right? When I got nine home runs my junior year, 56 RBIs, he's got 24 with 56. My my swings, my RBIs, and I'm not even close to being compared to this kid. This kid's way better than me. But I drove in the same amount of runs. My RBIs had more impact. My hits had more of an impact um, on the game. Um, and I, I think that's the biggest thing of can you have a guy like Wes Clark? Yes. Can you have nine of West Clarks? No. You got to sprinkle in some of those Whit Merrifields that's going to hit 340 for you, mm. right? Mm. A Jackie Bradley that can do it all, hit for pop, hit for average, can bunt, can play defense, great kid in the – great great guy in the locker room. Um, you know, you, you got to have guys like that, uh, a different type of guys, and I think that's what Holbrook was so good at, right, on, on kind of – designing a team for coach Tanner to run, you know, a team that it wasn't all just power hitters. It was a complete team, some dirt bags, some pretty boys, uh, some guys that are older guys, you know, a quiet kid like Jackie, a quiet assassin like Brady Thomas, you know, the hard hat guys like Wingo, me, Enders, um, Barry. They did such a good job of designing a team with kind of different type of players that can help you depending on the game, 
right? If there was a game where it was a it was it was gonna be a one-to-one ball game, we had guys to bunt guys over, we had guys to hit and run, we had guys to steal a bag. If it was a game where we had to bang a bunch of base hits and score some runs, we had guys like that that can do it, right? So we can play multiple types of games. And that to me is how you want to design a team. You want to design a team that can score 12 runs, but you also want to design a team where you can bunt guys over and you can play those three to two ball games because every game ain't going to be, you're not going to score 10 runs every game. That to me is the biggest thing. And not just in Carolina, but any program you want to, you want to design and architect the team. You got to be able to play and win the the, the the games where it's 10 to 12, 12 to 10, and the games where it's one to zero. For sure. Well said. Sure. Adrian, well this said. has been a pleasure, man. I appreciate you taking the time. One last thing before I let you go before I get you out of here. Um, of course, the legendary Ray Tanner, the stories we could go on and on, but one that sticks out for you, maybe funniest thing he ever said to you. I remember specifically you guys, uh, like you mentioned, butting heads a little bit here and there. And I, you know, Bobby, Bobby Haney's told me a couple off the record, but I'll let you take the floor and some of your most memorable interactions with, uh, with Ray Tanner. With Ray Tanner. Okay. So my, my friend, not, not a lot of people know this story. And it's, it's, it's funny now, while it was going on, it wasn't that funny to me. And it questioned whether I wanted to be there, right, um, that, that one day. So it's, dude, I'm from Miami. I'm born and raised in Miami. I've never left Miami. Um, I've gone to places, but it's never been cold when I, when I went. I went to New York to play in a baseball tournament when I was 12. It wasn't cold. It is freezing in Carolina in the fall, right? I get there, and I got one of those tight Under Armour ski masks. I'm wearing a white one. I have a black one, too, and Jackie Bradley goes, yo, Mo, can I borrow that? I go, yeah, of course. Here, I can't wear two of them at the same time. Go ahead. We get to practice, and I remember we're, we're huddled up right by the second base bag. So Tanner starts his speech. I'm freezing my tail off. You can only see my eyes. He stops his speech. <laughs> In the middle of practice of, of, his, of him, you know, his, his introduction speech, he goes, hey, Morales, if you and Jackie Bradley are too cold, you can go back to Miami and he can go back to Virginia. You guys decide what you want to do with your little ski mask you got on. So me and Jackie look at each other, and it, it, I go to my neck, and I reach over. I pull it off. I take it off and put it in my pocket. Never wear it again until we're playing against ECU game three of when we got our tails handed to us. And I think we, ended up, I think we got swept that, that series to ECU. <laughs> I don't play games. I played game two. I'm, I'm hot. Because I got the go-ahead base hit in the ninth to put us up one. We ended up blowing the lead in, in game two. Game three, I'm expecting to play. I'm not. I'm on the bench. I'm at the end of the dugout. We're getting our, our tails handed to us. I got my ski mask on. It's cold. I'm not playing. I'm not coming in to pinch hit. I'm not coming in to pinch run. He walks. He's hot. He's hot. This is when he let us have it in the locker room. He walks by me and he goes, take that crap off. And I go to him. I was already, I was already hot. 
I go to him. It's not my fault we're losing. I didn't take anything off. He walked right by me again. We didn't say a word. I found it to be funny when I got back on the bus. We get back to Carolina. He lets us all have it. One by one, he got to me about, about missing class, but I hadn't missed class, so he just said cleared up with Bondo. But I am so grateful he didn't bring up the ski mask and ask me for it. It cost me about $50 to buy. Right? So that's that's the story that I've really never told um, about Tanner, um, which I find it to be funny now. I didn't find it to be funny back then because I was really cold. Um, but we got a lot of stories and a lot of conversations that, if, dude, if you were there, you would be like, why is he talking to him like that? And why is Tanner talking to him like that? It was, it was, it was almost like we were both always sitting at the bar, having a beer, saying exactly what we wanted to say to each other with no, no filter, no nothing. Um, and I appreciate him so much for that because it allowed me to be myself. Um, and it allowed me to take on the role that I did. Um, had, had, had our relationship not been that way, I don't think I would have been the player I was um, and, and the leader I was. You know, he gave me the go-ahead to question him, right? And why are we bunning this guy? Why are we doing this? Why are we going to the pen now? And, and it's a question of why. <laughs> and as a coach, you're like, why is this guy even questioning me, right? And he, he understood that in my heart, I just wanted to help. I just wanted to win. And he knew that. Um, and that's why we were allowed to have the relationship that we had. You love that. It's those behind the scenes stories that make the runs so much more magical, so much, so much better. Adrian, it's always a pleasure to with you, man. I appreciate it. Hey, congratulations on the great season, by the way. Miami Dave, it's been a pleasure keeping up with you. And let's definitely do this again soon for sure, my man. Yeah, man. I appreciate it, dude. Anytime, call me, shoot me a text. You know, anything you need, I'm here. Absolutely. He's Adrian Morale, and I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys Adrian tuning in, and we'll catch you next time we'll we'll of the Spurs Up Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.